Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I have a very special episode for you today because a Disorderly Dogs listener, she reached out to me and she was sharing her experience about being a dog guardian and all of, you know, the challenges that come with that. And I invited her to come onto the show. And I'm so excited to talk all about Leanne and Billy. Okay, so without further ado, Leanne, do you want to introduce yourself for everybody? Yeah. Just tell them a little bit about yourself, where you are. So I'm Leanne. I'm 36 now. My birthday was about uh, three weeks ago. I actually live in the Netherlands. So I love had, uh... so much that you found my podcast oh. from the Netherlands. I love it. I know. So that's why I was thinking, okay, so what time do we actually meet up? Because <laughs> there's a seven to eight hour star- time difference. But we made it happen. Yeah. And what Rachel maybe forgot to mention, but that's why I'm introducing myself to you all, is that if you're a power wheelchair user. I this I was really excited to talk to you for a couple of reasons because you had reached out, right, on Instagram because you were con- talking about reactive redefine and asking like, had yeah. I been able to like make adaptations for different capabilities in the handler, right? And I was really honest about my experience with that. Like, yes, a couple of times, but obviously not something I have a ton of experience about. And I think that that's something that I'm constantly trying to push myself to be is just more inclusive and understanding of like, how can I empower people to be really good dog guardians without making it all about just advice for able-bodied people? Is that an accurate way to put it? Yeah, and also just to be for every kind of person, no matter their backgrounds. Absolutely, because I definitely see some privileged posts by dog people about, like, if you get a a really, if you get, like, you know, a dog and you can't physically exercise them or you can't physically take care of them, you shouldn't have a dog. And that's, like... Exactly, exactly. And, you know, on the surface... You're like, wait a minute. But then you realize that everyone can make adaptations and you would be surprised how successful people can be at being dog guardians when they're not like the classical like runner who can run their border collie every day or something like that. Yeah, or or the classic click and treat and or follow this training plan. Oh, nope, we can't do that. We don't know how to do that. Right. And I think in an effort to try and convey messages, right, dog guardians are like, your mechanics have to be spot on. All these things have to be in place. And what if they're not for some reason? Right, right. And how can we support people to be successful without misbelieving that there's only one way to get to an outcome with the dog? Right. Because our dogs aren't that way either. Why why wouldn't humans be? Amen to that. Amen to that. Okay, so without further ado, I want you to go ahead and introduce your boy to everybody because, right, you are Team Billy after all. Yes. So Billy Boy, 
is two and a half years old. By the time we're we're going to let this be on the air, it'll be ballless Billy. <laughs> We've been jokingly calling him that. It's time. It's time for the snip snip. Yes. And also, that's another thing that I wanted to add. In the Netherlands, it's not necessarily uh, the standard to neuter your dog. Spain, yes, but neutering for males, not so much. Especially not at the eight month mark, more like two years old. I like that change in societal norm, right? Just like understanding that perspective, because... You know, as you know, in the U.S., it's like spay and neuter at all costs. It's like, you know, been the theme for forever. Okay, so tell everybody uh, Billy's breed. Billy's a Maltese mix. He's so cute. He's just an adorable little fluffy guy. I know, and I don't know what kind of mix, because semi-puppy male breeder said that he's a half Pomeranian. And the reason why I say semi-puppy male is because, yes, the person had way too many puppies, but everything health-wise checked out. So the vaccines, his age. And I think, I, I love how you make that distinction because I find that it's often really easy just to, like, throw people under the bus and be like, well, this was a puppy mill. Yes. But that's not fair, right? Did they have too many dogs? Maybe, but were they trying their best to care for the dogs, right? Like, I don't yeah. think it's it's the just horrible, it's always just horrible neglect that got to exactly. that outcome, right? Like it's, it's too what, easy to villainize, which is not always appropriate. Exactly. That's why I openly um, say this, because I think there's many more people that are perfectly happy with their dog. Would they do it again? Maybe not. Let's hope not. But does everyone have the financial means to get a, a really expensive health checked puppy? Nope. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> go ahead. And also, shelter dogs aren't always a good fit either. Absolutely, absolutely. There's no one right answer for acquiring a dog, right? Like, there's yeah. so many different variables that we have to consider. So, do you want to tell everybody a little bit more about uh, the decision to get a dog and bringing Billy into your life in the first place? Yes. I had a program dog for two weeks. It didn't work out because there were many rules I had to adhere to. Plus, they didn't know that I couldn't use my hands as much as they thought I might be able to. So that just didn't work out. So this and dog, I, to be clear, this dog was like a trained service dog? or Yeah. Okay. A trained a program service dog. Uh, a yellow lab. She was very sweet, but it was just too much for me to handle. And with a heavy heart, I said, no, this is not why it's covered by insurance. She needs a happy work life, happy house life. That's not what I can give her. Please give her to someone else who's been on the waiting list for also two years. Everyone approximately is on a waiting list for two years, if not longer. Wow, I'm sure that was so hard. It was. Okay. So then they fell in. So then they fell into this big black hole, mm. and I said, "Like, I want the dog." So we decided 
on a smaller dog and someone found the um, found them on the internet and I just fell in love with the picture and we called and we went and looked and unlike other people I did say yes straight away uh, he was 12 weeks old he came home and we were like what did we do <laughs> because we I knew a lot about dogs but older dogs not puppies so that was a rude awakening also, which also led living loss, as I call it. That's a term we use in, in Dutch for when you when you realize you can't do something uh, because of your disability. So it's called a living loss. And I was just, I was beside myself, uh, not with the fact that I had really, but what do I do? Because... He wasn't potty trained. He was 12 weeks. You know, what are you going to do? So after a couple of weeks, I said to my mom, we have to give him back. And mom said, no, 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 we're not giving him back. I said, well, this isn't working either. So she took him back uh, to live with her. And she said, for the cold, cold, cold month of December. And then... He slowly come, came and uh, stayed at my house again, uh, first for two nights. And then I said, I want him back. And my mom said, wait a minute, you gave him to me. But she saw our connection and she's like, okay. So now she's granny. That's Aww. her title. Yes, right. So you both are really invested in taking care of Billy and Billy's well-being you know, just in different capacities. I, I love that your mom was there to support you and be like, okay, this puppy is overwhelming. Let me take the puppy, help with some of the potty training. That's that's beautiful that you and your mom were be able to to utilize your strengths to support Billy in those early days. Exactly. And that's why I, that's how I realized how important um, puppy raises are in, oh. uh, in programs. But also... For cases like this. Let's fast forward just a little bit. So when right. Billy started to live with you more full time. Yes. Do you want to give some examples of maybe some of the normal challenges that came up and how you were able to tackle those with your particular capabilities? Right. Because I have cerebral palsy. So uh, I I can't walk. But also both of my hands don't work optimal I would say and I use everything um to do everything I mean I use my left hand so one of the things that I taught him really early on was to jump on what I call his chair and I grab his leash so he's at your level so it's easier for you to approach him and get the leash on him well actually he wears the leash indoors all the time People are freaked out. It's like they say, "What if he gets caught?" I said, "He's learned how to make himself unstuck. He's 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 a champion at walking backwards." Okay, so just to be clear, the the reason that he continues to wear the leash is so that it's more functional for you to be able to pick up the leash, and then you don't have to worry about clipping it on him. Yes, yes, right. And which I do, I do, I do have a magnet. To, to practice but I need more practice 
with that because it's very squiggly. Okay, and let's be honest, even people who don't have any challenges using their hands, it's still tricky sometimes to get the clips yeah. and the harnesses and things like that exactly. on. So, so he wears his harness on in the house all the time. Which I'm sure is totally normal for him, and he's super oh, yeah. used to. Yeah, and as soon as someone's there for a day or an afternoon who can take it off, of course we take it off. But does it bother him? To me, not so much. Because we've done that really early on. Right. So he's just used to it. That's just always kind of been yeah, his norm. Exactly. Probably another advantage of him being younger when he came to you is you were able to, you had a little bit more of an opportunity to habituate him to some things that exactly maybe an adult dog who was afraid of things would have a harder time adapting to. Exactly. So, so tell we, me, tell me about how did he, re- how did he respond to your chair? Oh, he was at awkwardly. first. He was absolutely fine with it from day one. It was amazing. I went, I went there in my manual chair. I held him in my arm and he wasn't, he was so calm. He, oh. he was like, you're my person. Okay. Those, those like first meetings are so profound. Like I remember yeah. having that moment with my dog, Sonny in the shelter at the shelter. And he just came and sat next to me. I was like, okay, dude, this is meant to be. You're supposed to come to me. We will figure this exactly. out. We will figure this out. And also when, when when I was going to choose between him or his brother, he came and licked my face. He does that every morning still. But I mean, you have this instant, like, I like you. Yeah, right. Like that that instant chemistry. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so one of the behaviors you have in adaptations is he'll hop up on his chair. So that yeah. is that, and then that way you can pick up his leash. Yeah. Because cool. he just sits there. And then I give him a treat. He's like, oh, I like this treat. And then I can grab the leash and I say, let's go. And he jumps off the chair. So with your left hand, how is it giving, getting him treats? Easy, actually. And my right hand has become way more functional. Because I have him, so holding the leash or uh, just holding simple things have become much less challenging for other things. I love that having a dog is helping your hands be more functional for other aspects of your life. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so tell tell us more about um, some more functional skills in your life. So. What about like, did you have to teach him like loose leash walking skills or walking next to your chair? Did he just kind of figure that out? Crazy enough, he adapted to that automatically, I would say. Um, First, he had a collar on. And uh, first, I couldn't walk him because he, he, he was a crazy puppy, of course. But the more and more he got to be older, at six months, he could walk to me. Next to me, like, how did you do that all of a sudden? It, it was like it just clicked with him. And we hadn't really practiced that before. And also, just because I trusted our process, I thought, yeah, I can do this. Sometimes it's half and, the battle is just believing that it's possible. Exactly. And the hardest was actually more challenging because he kept uh, stepping on the line in the very beginning. But we just kept on trying, and yes, the leash did get caught in my wheels a few times, but luckily I live in this really tiny neighborhood compared to American 
neighborhood. So I would just uh, wait until somebody uh, bicycled by and say, could you help me? And they would, you know, and that's also how Billy got to not be afraid of people that come and help me because he thought, oh, I'm stuck. So they're going, coming to help to free me. I love that beautiful benefit of it, that lovely like association building and like early socialization. And how does that feel for you having to ask people going by to help you? That's normal for me. If I didn't, I wouldn't get out of my house, even without a dog. You know, this is kind of a random tangent, but I promise I'll bring it back. I was out walking my dogs before we started recording today. And there's this neighbor that I see all the time. I always wave. But today I had an opportunity to stop and talk to him. And it was it was such a uh, like uplifting exchange just to be able to stop and talk to my neighbor. And, you know, now I know his name. And do you want to how is that? Like, is it nice to be able to meet some more people in your community when they stop to help you? Definitely. But especially now I have a dog, especially kids. They're not like. Oh, that's a wheelchair, or or that's the scary lady. It's a, she's like they're like, oh, look at that doggy. And when he pees, he pees on his front legs. He he does like his hind legs go up in the air. And they're like, oh, look, I want a dog like that. The parents are usually like, oh, okay, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So Billy helps to change maybe how kids or people would view you yeah exactly because a lot of people say oh then the lady goes with a doggy again that's amazing I love that so people in the neighborhood know you and Billy because they've noticed Billy so much he's been in the local newspaper too for for um we have a thing called animal world day on the 4th of October and he's been in the newspaper that's and that's amazing. one of the and that's one of the things that I said in uh, as with the caption everyone knows Billy as they should I if, if I ever make it to the Netherlands I will definitely be letting you know so that I can hang out with you and Billy oh my exactly. gosh exactly oh my gosh okay so are there any other examples of maybe like adaptations that you and Billy have made for some of the trained skills like does he struggle? Does does he have any struggles? Like is he reactive to things sometimes? Oh yes, he's okay. he's reactive to things. So I've I've worked with a trainer who um, they're force free, and uh, amazing. It helps to say look at that, uh, but I don't throw treats. I just say yay, good boy. And we're also going to a what do you call a behavior specialist who also used to work with. Uh, service dog just because hopefully he'll know what cues you can give instead of treats or instead of a clicker but how you can verbally um reward it instead of instead of using your body something that i encourage so many of my reactive dog clients to use is their movement and their motion which i'm sure you are getting really good at in your chair, like understanding yeah. maybe helping him like to move on quickly and oh, maybe yeah, increasing the speed yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I definitely have to do that. Especially when they're behind it. It's like, let's go. Come on. And then usually he does come 
But if I wait too long, then he gets into the freeze mode. And then it's like, oh, yeah. Now it's hold on your leash for dear life. And it just has to happen. Right, right. You have you have those like, oh, no moments with him, too. Just like the rest of us do. Yeah, even more so sometimes. And yeah, I do get a lot of, like train your dog or or Dutch people are can be very judgmental. I just let that go. Good for you. Good for you. Because I, I, I do know that I train. I even have a thing on the back of my wheelchair because it says, please stay back. Reactive dog. And it says stop and it has a warning sign. And I do think if people don't read that, then that's their fault. What a beautiful way to advocate for him and make your job just a little bit easier because hopefully people will see that and give you the space you need to be successful. Yeah. And if they don't, um, at least I've taken my responsibility. Right. You've done everything you can to communicate what you need and you're doing the best you can. And he deserves to be out just like every other dog. Exactly. And especially here, it's more difficult because you have more off-leash dog parks also just on the side of the road. So it's not like America where you go in your car first. Right. It's like everyone's walking to certain places that aren't necessarily fenced in. Yeah. Which is way harder because off-leash dogs tend to be much more difficult for leash reactive dogs to cope with exactly and then there are own well, uh, other guardians who say you shouldn't be here well maybe you should just leash your dog if you know that it's going to run towards another dog but that's a whole different conversation yes oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah all the listeners well you know you've heard me talk about that in depth in a lot of episodes oh my gosh oh my but gosh. it is different in here than it is in america because dogs also go next to bikes sometimes by foot people often think oh yeah he has a good recall if if you look at it as a trainer i think like no you don't Right, but it's just a different cultural norm. Yeah. I, and, dogs I, are, and dogs are allowed everywhere, like on buses, on trains, in restaurants. It's it's good in the fact that you're able to take Billy more places, like on public transit. Yes. Right. But more challenging because then other people get to take their dogs to those same, same places. Yeah. And for reactive dogs, that can be very difficult. So, yes, I do leave him at home many times. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the way that Billy supports you because you were mentioning to me that you you don't really feel like the service dog community resonates with you because he's not maybe the the classically trained service dog and he's not just a pet. He kind of falls in the middle. Is that accurate? In between. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's not, he's not, you wouldn't call him an emotional support dog either because you you don't need a doctor script here uh, and they don't really know emotional support dogs like they do in the U.S. They do know therapy dogs. That's becoming more and more of a of a tool in the therapy land. But for me he's my buddy. He also uh, he can go uh, to public places where he is allowed. I also go to the bakery. I actually told the bakery very kindly, oh, I didn't know dogs weren't allowed 
and he's not a, a certified service dog because here you have to have a certified service dog. You need to train through a special school and you get you get a um, pass for the dog that says you've done the training. And so there's a little bit more formal regulation in the service yeah. dog world in the Netherlands. Very formal, very formal. So I did say like, He's none of those things. They said, oh, but we decide who comes in. So now we're always welcome. And he's always behaved very nicely. He just did soon wait. That's so, and I love that you were very honest in communicating, right? Like he's not a service dog, but I love that the bakery could see that he was a very good and well-behaved dog and they could make an exception for you. Yes, yes. And what I do have is a, a cake that says, do not pet, do not uh, stare, and do not talk. It doesn't say service dog or emotional support dog because he's not. He doesn't have those labels, if you will. Right. And that's what I take very seriously. I don't lie about that, those kind of labels. Because well, it's a You don't need to. Enough. Right. <laughs> you no. don't need to, right? Exactly. I'm very careful with that because there's a lot of psychiatric service dogs are a very popular business model, I would say. And people get taken advantage of because they pay themselves and they have to pay, well, I'd say 25,000 euros. Wow. Wow. The cheapest would be 16,000. So you're doing your best to support the legitimacy of certain labels, right, of dogs so that those service dogs and those working dogs can continue to support the people that need them. Yes. Mm, I love that. I love that. So do you want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of your journey and training? Because I know you had mentioned that uh, in the beginning, maybe you you were doing your best, but maybe like force-free wasn't the label or intention. Do you want to kind of just tell everybody about that journey yeah. for you? Yeah, because I didn't know anything about uh, training. Uh, so what I did use for a while was a vibration anti-bark collar. I stopped using it because by my own experience, I figured out it needed to go higher and higher. And I thought to, my, to be effective or so-called effective. I thought, nope. So I threw it out and I've never used it again. Yeah, I think I'd over, in over like one and a half, two, two years now. That's, that's so much of my clients experience that they just kind of have this intuition of like, I do not want to raise this thing higher. Like that seems exactly so unnecessary. Right. And, and it, so many, I love it. I tell my clients, it. I'm like, good job. I'm so glad you walked yeah. away from that. <laughs> like Exactly. And it also felt very counterintuitive. Right. Like he's barking and having a hard time. Is continuing to raise the intensity on this collar actually going to help that? Exactly. And it was getting worse. For me, that was very apparent that this wasn't, you'd think it helps, but it doesn't. And And the proof is in your dog, not in the pudding. In your dog's well-being and their behavior, right? And yeah. your relationship with them. So I wanted to touch on something that you had mentioned, that um, you had tried some virtual training with the trainer. And while that was kind of helpful, you found that for you and Billy, it was 
you needed the accountability of someone coming to be there to support you in person. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Yes, because I would, I would have the session and I would lose motivation and I wouldn't do anything at all. And they would write and say, how's it going? And I'd have to say, well, I haven't done it yet. So, and uh, when I did find the right trainer, we hit it off really well. Um, he came to my house. First of all, that helped because when you can see someone in person, you can see what they can do. And also, in Holland at least, or in the Netherlands, we have a lot of trainers that work with clickers, and they learn it. They uh, learn it a, a certain way, and they also uh, are taught how to teach it a certain way. And if you don't fit that criteria, uh, then they're lost. If you say, "Don't know how," I can't use a clicker. Uh, well, I don't know how to do that with time timing then. And I've learned that even giving the verbal cue could be good timing. Oh, absolutely. But that's how simple it can be. Um, but people make it very complex. Right. Well, I, I love that you can see that you could just simplify that. In fact, you did not need a clicker to accomplish the training goals with Billy. And the same thing with turning left and turning right. I thought that would be really challenging, but all I started to do was, Billy, let's go left. You're like, okay, let's go left. Okay, and if his leash gets caught now in his um, uh, with his paws, I say, which means pause up, and he somehow does something, and is like, okay, we can continue walking. Because he untangles himself. And the thing with backup, sometimes he's under the table and he just gets himself tangled up. All I have to do is back up, go left or go right. And he untangles himself. You bring up a really good point of like some of the associative learning that we can do with our dogs that kind of exists outside of the like, all right, we have a clicker, we have treats, we're going to spell it out. We're going to have this like really elaborate training plan. And oftentimes we don't need elaborate training plans. Oftentimes we just need to connect with our dogs so they know that they can look to you for guidance. And then it's obviously they don't speak our exact languages, but they understand so much more than we give them credit. Exactly. Exactly. Also in saying that you do need a trainer that gives you confidence Mm -hmm. that says, yes, you can do it this way. Yes. Just try. Just do it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work this time. It will work. Just keep on keeping on instead of, oh, no, that won't work. That won't fly. Forget about it. Well, and like you were saying, we have to use the very same principles that we use with dogs with people. There's no one black and white way to do anything with any dog or person. (laughs) There's always gray area, right? It's like a technicolor world of how we can adapt to people and dogs and their unique challenges and capabilities. And I, I love how you have navigated your life with Billy. It's been really enlightening for me to hear some of that. So I want to wrap up and I want to, I want to hear from you specifically. 
what you think the dog training community can do to one, be better, more inclusive and support humans like you who have different capacities and capabilities. Well, one thing that just came to mind because you asked what the adaptations I use. Uh, And one of the newest things that I'm most proud of, and that's my long line. Learned how to use the long line so that it doesn't go in my wheels. It's over my armrest, so it can't it can't get off. And my physical therapist said use fitness gloves, so then I have more grasp. And that's his log line. And I'm sure he loves it. Oh yeah, but there you go. I thought I could never use a long line, and I found a shop who makes custom made log lines. So it's exactly what you need. Yeah. That's amazing. And I don't have any special, um, what do you call it, lines or leashes. All I do have is from Liberty Wristband that you can put it around your uh, wrist and you put the leash, click it in, and it's perfect for when we do long outings. So it's like a wristband that you put on your wrist and then there's an attachment yeah. to put Billy's lead yeah. on it. Say it one more time. Li- Liberty. Liberty wristband. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. I really like hearing this because I do my best to, to, you know, when I'm supporting clients, suggest some things that I think they can think about trying, but not insist that they do it. And the long line right. is totally what comes to mind because while I love long leashes, it can be difficult to manage. It can be difficult to figure yeah. out. And there's obviously... Especially with wheels. Ooh, it can be dangerous. Yes. Oh my, you have to be very, very careful. So I think that it's a good reminder for all of us dog trainers that maybe we can suggest things and encourage our clients to think about ways that maybe they could do that without saying that they have to do it or something is wrong with the quality of the dog's life if they don't do it. Exactly. Amen to that one. Yeah. Because that's what I've gotten a lot. Well, then he's not free, or then he's not blah, or then he's not this. He knows what he knows. And if they're okay with it, if they don't show stress signals, who are they to say how you should live your life with your dog? Absolutely. And, you know, it's like every new client that I work with, I always learn something new from. And there's always dispelling of maybe some of the preconceived notions that I didn't even really consciously know that I had. That, you know, like there are certain things that happen where like you would on paper, you'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. But then you see it in real life and you're like, this dog is totally fine. (laughs) Like (laughs) this dog does not know that whatever we think is not good for them is happening and just like you're saying like him having the harness and leash on often he he doesn't care no and to segue into what trainers could learn is definitely um encourage encourage clients to try things and also try and say like where did you find that product or um have you thought about this also as a trainer to think outside of the box Together with your clients, you'll find if it's possible or not. Um, yeah, don't just say no because you don't know what's out there. 
and also for guardians, ask people with service dogs. Even though I don't have service dogs, I ask different groups questions to ask them. Um, where did you find, for example, that Liberty wristband? I didn't know that existed. I found that in a group. Right. Right. So, and that's something that we can all have access to, right? Is like learning certain tips and tricks from the service dog community to help our clients who have different exactly. adaptations. And, you know, I just want to echo the like creative solutions, right? Like there is, there's so much to be accomplished when we can get creative and understand. That's my favorite part about being a professional dog trainer is like seeing the certain set of circumstances, a dog's personality, a human's personality, their capabilities, their life. And doing my best to make sure that all of those things are accounted for in the plans that I'm writing for them. Yeah. And another thing that also goes for your courses, for example, is offer a sliding skill or offer um, installment things. Because someone with a disability, besides not having a lot of funds, they might think it's worthwhile, but they can't, they can't go for $300 in one go, but they might be able to do it in three. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, we, and that's something that we do for our courses is that we do have, you know, some payment plans. And I'll be honest, a lot of times I, I remember you messaging me about Reactive Redefined. I was like, okay, well, if the timing works and this is what you can afford to invest, that will work. So I think we all just have to do better just to support people in the best way that we possibly can and just because you don't have the resources doesn't mean you deserve you don't deserve access to that information and especially if I if I look at myself you don't want to go with a method that doesn't fit with you just because you can afford it absolutely because if a certain method doesn't work uh, in your mindset how are you going to work together as a team if you're already Oh, no, I'm not feeling this. Let's not do this. And your dog feels the same way. So, especially with, with especially because you're, you are in the R plus community, all goes for all trainers. Please think of those who can't afford it. You don't even have to be disabled. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've had a environmental, uh, a storm or disaster. Maybe you've had a family thing. That doesn't mean you still don't want to work with your dog. You just can't afford it right now. Absolutely. So these are very good messages for the dog training community. I appreciate you spending time and energy educating me a little bit and my listeners too. So do you want to tell everyone uh, how they can connect with you? I really love seeing all your Billy content over on Instagram. Oh, definitely. I'm on Instagram on Leanne 8, L-I-A-N-N 8. And you'll find me through Leanne and Billy. And we'll be sure to include a link to that in the show notes so people can find you directly. Leanne, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was so fun. Yeah, you're very welcome. There are loads of ways to support this podcast. Many of you who have left reviews, many of you have shared this podcast with your friends and family, but we've created another way for you to support this podcast by making a monetary financial contribution. You can choose from a one-time contribution or making a small monthly contribution to continue to make disorderly dogs possible. You can learn more at the link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.